it's the same people being involved in them all that are arrested on a charge and released and doing it again. We gotta do something to get rid of that culture that thinks black people are inferior and that they're criminals. Hi there, it's WAMC News Director Ian Pickus. And on this episode of the WAMC News Podcast, I'll be turning the entire episode over to my colleague Jackie Orchard for a story she's been working on for months. Following the May death of George Floyd while in Minneapolis police custody, Albany experienced a slew of protests and riots. New York repealed a law that restricted access to police disciplinary records, and a statewide mandate to reimagine policing was instituted. To learn how those events have impacted policing in New York's capital city, Jackie rode along with an Albany police lieutenant and spoke with a local black rights activist. Okay, here she is. Albany is experiencing one of the most violent years in its history. There have been more than 100 shootings in the city in 2020, an increase of over 240 percent since last year. As I ride down Central Avenue in Albany Police Lieutenant Devin Anderson's patrol car, he says it's the result of a perfect storm. Bail reform, discovery reform, the George Floyd incident, and the pandemic all at once within a short period of time has changed policing. Anderson has been an officer in the Albany Police Department for 14 years. He says the recent unrest around civil rights has affected policing more than the COVID-19 pandemic. But he says his fellow officers don't deserve to be targets of the Black Lives Matter movement. I can only speak for Albany PD that I don't believe we have a race problem in any way, shape or form. I asked him what he meant by race problem. I do not believe the people that I work with make decisions based on race. It's as easy as that. Like I said, you don't. We, you know, yes, we are primarily in the inner city neighborhoods, which are primarily minority, but that's because that's where we're called for service. That's where we're needed. Um, it's not, it's not a racial thing. Anderson, who is white, is pretty indignant about the accusation that the Albany Police Department might have racist cops. He says Albany has been a front-runner in fair policing for decades. The department was named in President Obama's 2016 task force on 21st century policing as an example of what to do right. Weeks after I rode along with Officer Anderson, on November 1st, David Hopped, a four-year veteran of the Albany Police Department, was caught on body camera footage making racially charged statements. Bro, they are the worst race, and I don't, you can't deny, like, over the last X amount of months, they are, you know, because we worked, they are getting worse and worse. Mm-hmm. They're getting worse, and people are defending them. Mm-hmm. Albany Police Chief Eric Hawkins says that officer will be terminated. I do believe that law enforcement has become the main target for society's problems right now. Anderson says it's not that racism doesn't exist, but it's not fair to pin all the frustration on the police. They don't know me. They don't know anything about me. They're making assumptions based on social media and news media and rumors and stuff like that with they're ignorant they don't they have no knowledge of what actually happens he references a demonstration in albany in may 
Following peaceful protests earlier on, a man threw a brick at a patrol car and several people hurled trash at a line of cops. The tense standoff lasted for hours as officers used horses, tear gas, and explosives to disperse the crowd. I mean, half those people weren't from Albany and have never dealt with an Albany cop. I mean, Albany, we didn't, we weren't involved in any of the stuff people are protesting about. We haven't been involved in any of the stuff people are protesting about. Coming to a few have you Dr. Alice Green is the executive director of the Center for Law and Justice in Albany. She is a black woman and has been an activist in the community for decades. She says the Albany Police Department may not have been involved in any of the recent viral instances of police brutality, but they do not have a spotless record. The Center for Law and Justice was started because six police officers who uh, knew this one young man who was mentally handicapped, was making noise, and they followed him to his apartment. He locked the door on him. They climbed up the, the roof and looked through the window and blew Jesse Davis's brains out of him. In the 1984 incident, Green says Davis was found to have a keychain and a toy truck in his hand, but police said he came at them with a knife and a fork. But those police officers got off. You know, they were not indicted. They got off. We have gone through killings of black people in, in Albany. Maybe not yesterday, but we have. And then there's the case of 19-year-old Elazar Williams, who was shot in the back by an Albany police officer in 2018 and paralyzed. APD cleared Detective James Olson of any wrongdoing. Green says the community hasn't trusted city police since. We have a long history of police brutality in Albany and of killing of black people. No, the country didn't hear about Elazar, but that doesn't mean it didn't happen. There are very hard-working, well-trained officers on this department. They go out every day to do the best that they can. Mistakes happen. We don't work in a zero-defect world. As long as they're attempting to do the right thing, I don't. We don't work in a zero-defect world. Mistakes happen. It's, as long as their intent was to do the right thing, mistakes of the heart versus mistakes of the mind. People make mistakes. That's part of the bad apple philosophy, <laughs> that if something happens in the police department, if an officer does something wrong... It's that officer. He's a bad apple in an, in an otherwise, uh, you know, good, uh, fair department. Green says police departments focus their training on individual officers, teaching them to reject stereotypes. She says this isn't helpful because everyone has implicit bias. And while it's good to work on that, it's treating a symptom, not the disease. The disease, she says, is that systemic racism is historically inherent in all police departments. Albany Police Department spokesman Steve Smith released the implicit bias training to WAMC, dated June 2015. A recent report on racial bias in the Albany Police Department by an outside auditor hired by the city finds differences in the outcome of arrests based on a person's skin color. The audit also says there is a need for better data collection regarding traffic stops and a clarification of the APD's use-of-force policy for officers. Green doesn't recommend implicit bias training. If I'm an individual police officer, I would shrug it off and say, well, you know, you've taught me that everybody has biases, so don't blame me. Uh, you know, uh, there's nothing wrong with me. 
we're saying you got to look at the systems and how individuals fit into the system. Um, so, so I see that as a real problem. That's something we've been trying to get the police department to understand. If you put into a system that routinely operates on those stereotypes, that black people are inherently criminal, that they are most likely going to commit a crime, uh, that they're dangerous, that they're violent, you're going to react, and the police department will support you. You're going to react to that person because of the, the, the institutional bias that's there. In other words, you won't be racist sitting in a classroom, but out on the street, you will still react differently to a black man approaching you than a white man. And, Green claims, if you shoot that black man, the police department will back you. Anderson says things have been tense with the community, but they could be worse. If we went doing real proactive policing again, I think that it would probably get worse pretty quick. According to Anderson, there are two approaches, reactive and proactive policing. Reactive is waiting for a call on the radio and responding. But by then, the incident has already happened. You didn't prevent anything. Proactive is patrolling the streets, identifying sketchy situations, and asking people what's going on. Maybe dispersing a crowd before it gets rowdy. Maybe breaking up a dice game. How's everybody doing? All right. Green says this entire concept is racist. She says it's profiling and the opposite of community policing. They don't do that in white communities, I'm going to tell you that right now. But they, when you do it in a black community, you are using stereotypes. You are, cause, you are uh, um, uh, causing people who do not trust you to mistrust you even more. She says black people want the same thing as everyone else, to feel safe and not be constantly interfered with could very well be a violation of the constitutional rights of those people who are gathered on the street, which they have a right to do, and they do also have a right not to be stopped by the police without cause. But Anderson says the community calls the cops about the loitering, dice, and partying, the same community that will yell insults at him on the street. The general public in other parts of the city aren't missing out on anything. It's not affecting them in the areas that are screaming to defund the police that are most affected by it. That's why crime is up. Green says there's just as much crime where white people live, specifically drugs, but police aren't in those neighborhoods breathing down their necks. Saul Greenberg was a, was a DA in Albany years back. And uh, he told me, he says, hey, we're going to go where we think we can, um, <laughs> we can actually see people uh, violating laws. Okay, so that means we're going to be in the black community because you can't see what's going on in white communities. You know, they can close their doors. They can they can uh, be in their backyard. They can do uh, all kinds of things or in their offices, be involved in drugs, you know, at the very same level, if not higher than uh, than black people. So therefore, they're the ones who get arrested. Black people are the ones who get arrested. Greenberg, a Democrat who was Albany County District Attorney for roughly 25 years before retiring in 2000, died in 2017. Anderson says right now, cops are between a rock and a hard place. The rock is residents wanting to feel safe. The hard place is residents not wanting cops around. He says there's uncertainty and hesitation. 
nobody wants to be the next five minute, 15 second clip, I guess, on the, on the news, you know, for doing something that's taken out of context and somebody has a cell phone video that only shows part of the incident, not the whole incident. So nobody wants that to be them. Anderson says people need to remember that cops are called to control dangerous situations. And he says that requires force. Kneeling is, I mean, if somebody is fighting and wants to get up, you have to put your body weight on them. And the most effective way to do that is a, is a knee. It, you know, you get pain compliance and, and muscle compliance right there. They, you know, it's, you have to control somebody. You have limited options. And especially if they're larger than you, if you can get on top of them, hold them down, a knee in the back or a knee on the shoulder or a knee on the side of the head is... It's excruciating and very good at holding a person in place. Anderson admits that national attention on police behavior is having an effect, just maybe an unintended one. I know that officers are definitely going to hesitate to use force in a situation like you're speaking where it's going to be run through the media, tried by the media, you're going to be taken out of work, you're going to, you know, you're run the risk of being doxxed where all your personal public information is put out and that's happening all over the country right now at the protests. So yes, officers are going to hesitate to use force. So I do believe that it is possible that they're more hesitant or more likely to use force on a white person than somebody else. Green says, why use force at all? She says it's time to reimagine the role of the police in the community, as Democratic Governor Andrew Cuomo has ordered. And I doubt very much if uh Police officers are going to go around shooting white people because the white community will not stand for it. They will not stand for their their uh, sons or their daughters being brutalized by police. Trust me, that will not happen. Anderson maintains that if someone ends up on the pavement with a knee to their back, it's because they did something to get there, like swing a baseball bat while approaching a cop, which I saw happen the night I rode along with him. The general public dictates, the people we are dealing with dictate the amount of force used and force is used, dictate how a situation is handled. A gentleman swinging a baseball bat over his head as I am talking to somebody while walking toward, towards me runs the risk of having force used against him. That's probably not a good idea. Anderson says every shooting that came across his desk this summer was minority on minority. Dr. Green and Anderson have different theories as to why. The culture and with those groups are violent, the, nobody fights with their fists anymore, they settle scores with guns. I mean, the society's desensitized. Green says it's racist to say that certain cultures are more violent and points to the long legacy of segregation. She says if you are black and all of your neighbors are black and you have a conflict with someone you know, chances are that person will also be black. It should not be defined as a black on black crime because there's also white-on-white crime. Same thing. FBI data from 2017 says 80% of white victims were killed by white offenders. 88.5% of black victims were killed by black offenders. Does that mean my skin determines whether I'm violent? I don't think so. Does my skin determine that I'm a criminal? I don't think so. <laughs> you know, uh, does my skin say that I'm inferior? I don't think so. One thing Officer Anderson and Dr. Green agree on is that education plays a role in the success of black communities. Education's part of it. You know, mediation's part of it. Hope is part of it. You know, when these kids idolize the kids that are out on the street, living that life, that's the life they're going to live. Green says it's more about lack of funding for schools. 
In January 2020, statistics gathered by the Institute for Child, Youth, and Family Policy at Brandeis University on the Child Opportunity Index 2.0 show that black children in Albany are 7.6 times more likely than white children to live in neighborhoods with substantially lower opportunities to grow up healthy. If you live in, in the city of Albany, your tax base is much less than somebody who lives in, you know, Loudonville. So your school system has less money. Green says less money means less resources, like equipment for virtual learning during the pandemic. She calls it a school-to-prison pipeline. According to the U.S. Bureau of Justice Statistics, at the end of 2018, about 1.5 million Americans were in prison in the United States. According to 2018 census data, there were 40 million black people in the U.S. and about 250 million white people, so about six times as many white people. But according to the Bureau of Justice Statistics National Prisoner Statistics Program, in 2018, about 51,000 white people were in federal prisons and about 67,000 black people were in federal prisons. The imprisonment rate of black males was 5.8 times that of white males and the imprisonment rate of black females was 1.8 times the rate of white females. Dr. Green's Center for Law and Justice has called for greater transparency from the Albany Police Department for years, including repealing 50A, a policy she says officers used to hide behind when they used excessive force, saying personnel records could not be released. After lawmakers moved on the matter, Governor Cuomo signed a repeal of 50A this year following the death of George Floyd. But Anderson says the call for protesters to subpoena officers' personal records is the wrong solution. People don't like being arrested. People make false complaints against the cops all the time because it's a way of delegitimizing their arrest. Every cop that's got more than a couple days on the street, more than five years, say, has had false complaints made against them, myself included. They're unsubstantiated. They're unfounded. If that file goes out, people are still going to see that those complaints are made. The general public believes those complaints because right now the general public doesn't believe the police. Anderson said the equivalent would be if someone said that every story I reported was false because they didn't like something I wrote about them. But there are reporters who make stuff up and there are cops who do bad things. So what is then the solution to prove that a cop has a history of racism or, or, or whatever? What's the what's the solution then? There are how many hundreds of thousands of cops in America? How many hundreds of thousands of calls for service go out on a daily basis? And how many legitimate complaints happen? Like I said, people don't like getting arrested. People make false complaints about that all the time. Courts in New York are still sorting out whether unsubstantiated claims can be released under the repeal of 50A or if it only applies to substantiated claims. Green claims she has had to file freedom of information requests to get reports on shootings in the past. She says she still hasn't received the full report on an incident on First Street, for which an officer was arrested and two more were suspended. Smith, the APD spokesperson, says APD has cooperated as much as the law allows during an ongoing investigation, saying, quote, Dr. Green did submit a FOIL request regarding the First Street incident. That's the process for turning over any documents, and we turned over what we are legally able to turn over. That case is still ongoing, with the officers going through the process in accordance with their collective bargaining agreements. The community needs to know when it's Police officers are misbehaving <laughs> uh, or acting unprofessional. And also, it's, it's an issue of transparency. 
which we consider the biggest problem in the police departments. They don't share information that they should with the community. They also hide body cam recordings. Smith says, quote, we don't just arbitrarily release body cam footage because of witness privacy and victim privacy, and we don't want to compromise any ongoing investigations. Smith adds that when it comes to the First Street incident, Dr. Green was one of only two people outside of the police department to view the footage. In April 2019, after Green saw the footage, she told WAMC it was disturbing, saying officers showed up to a house call on First Street and broke down the door after the man who answered it asked if they had had a warrant. And said, if you don't to come out or let us in, um, you know, we're going to go in and get you. And that's exactly what they did. They got through the door, pulled the, uh, the man who was at the door out of uh, the apartment and basically threw him into the street. And then the video shows uh, police officers beating uh, the gentleman with a stick. Five-year veteran officer Luke Deere beat the man with a nightstick. Deere was arrested. Two other officers were suspended. LT, what's up? What's up, Mackie? How are you? 282, if you didn't get me back already, I'm back. If you could clear my screen, please. Officer Anderson says people shout things at him all the time now, like defund the police or various expletives not suitable for the radio. Law and order is what keeps America what it is. I mean, if the, if the police weren't here, we would devolve into chaos. I mean, you're seeing that in other parts of the country where the riots continue and the police have taken a, a really big step back. So it's, it's, uh, it's got to work itself out. Dr. Green argues police are exacerbating the problem, saying they don't prevent crime, they only react to it. Green says only if impoverished communities improve will crime numbers fall. It's the community and the way people are treated and the, the way they are allowed to survive with dignity that helps, you know, deal with antisocial behavior. Green says she doesn't favor the term defund the police because it implies that police departments would be abolished and there would just be an empty hole. She says the justice system needs to be focused on rehabilitation, like Albany's Law Enforcement Assisted Diversion, or LEAD program, which attempts to provide treatment services for addiction and mental illness for individuals who commit low-level crimes, instead of sending them to jail. Albany County Executive Dan McCoy announced this fall that the program will receive an $898,000 grant from the U.S. Department of Justice. Dr. Green says she helped write the budget proposal for the program, but was not informed that one had been approved for how much or where the money would go. Green says she hopes it goes to creating more case managers for community outreach. But prisons have been shown to exacerbate the problem. Prisons cause criminal behavior. They do not solve the problem. So we got to rethink all of that. That punishment isn't necessarily the answer to public safety. I would change the name of the Albany Police Department to the Albany Department of Public Safety. It's everybody's job to be involved in it in different kinds of ways. And, um, you know, we got to do something to get rid of that culture that thinks black people are inferior and that they're criminals. Green says crime comes from poverty, not skin color. 
She says people who have little money and who feel marginalized make decisions based on survival that privileged people don't have to make. Poverty and racism can put stress on certain groups where they might feel they have to respond in certain kinds of ways. Green says you cannot begin to understand systemic racism if you don't learn the history of the United States. Green says the disadvantages of black people can be traced to slavery, and so can policing. When she says police officers were used to bring escaped slaves back to plantations and would announce when lynchings would occur, like it was entertainment. But Green doesn't think police officers are bad. They're simply people who have been drawn into a system that goes way back to protect white people and their property. Anderson, who is 44 years old, says the 70s were very similar to today in terms of protests and civil rights tension. It's a pendulum, he says. It'll swing back. But Dr. Green doesn't want a pendulum. She wants a rocket to use the momentum of this time to push the conversation in a new direction. Green says even after the protests, it feels like Albany officials and cops have the attitude of, yes, racism is a problem in the country, but Albany is no worse than any other city. They try to get themselves off the hook and say, well, you know, I'm not responsible. Nobody's saying you're responsible. You know, um, we're saying that this is the way our society is functioning, and it's treating certain people uh, unequally. You know, it's... uh, putting a lot of people uh, out of the mainstream of life in a society. So it is your responsibility to deal with it. Green says the first step of that responsibility is to learn. She recommends the books White Fragility, Why It's So Hard for White People to Talk About Racism by Robin D'Angelo, and Cast, The Origins of Our Discontents by Isabel Wilkerson. And she says responding to Black Lives Matter with, quote, all lives matter misses the point. That's exactly what Black Lives Matter is saying, that all lives matter. But we haven't seen that happen in this country. We have not seen equity. We have not seen people of color, black people treated equally. On May 30th, following the death of George Floyd, there was a protest outside an Albany police branch in the South End. Dr. Alice Green, Officer Devin Anderson, and I were all there, although we didn't know each other yet. Dr. Green was there as an activist, watching the boiling over of tensions that she had been predicting and warning city officials of for years. I rushed there as a reporter, documenting it with a practiced air of removal, but saddled with my own white guilt. And Detective Anderson took his spot in a line of unblinking police while trash and fire rained down on him thinking of his wife and two kids at home. Throughout this, have you ever doubted whether or not you want to still be a cop? I have four years to go till retirement. Yes, absolutely, 100%. Why? Um, do something where I, at the end of the day, have something to show for my labors. Do you feel like right now police officers don't have anything to show for it? Um, it's different, you know? We deal with the same people over and over and over for the same things over and over and over with the the criminal justice reforms that have happened in the last year you know a lot of times they're they're out you know i mean if you look at some of the crime we had this past summer some of the homicides and stuff it's the same people being involved in them all that are arrested on a charge and released and doing it again so it's uh it it gets frustrating 
the pendulum swings. At some point in time, people are going to realize that they've had enough and be asking for the police to come back instead of screaming, defund the police. No justice! Reporting from Albany, I'm Jackie Orchard for WAMC News. More on this story at WAMC.org. My hat's off to Jackie Orchard for all of that reporting. All right, that does it for this episode of the WAMC News Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time, I'm Ian Pickus.